Welcome back to Coffee with Innovate Finance, a podcast series where we're speaking with experts from the industry on the changing face of financial services and the future of fintech and financial innovation. I am Rashi Pandey, Head of Partnerships, and I'm very pleased to welcome Freddie Kelly, who's the founder and CEO of Credit Kudos. So Credit Kudos is a credit reference agency and open banking provider that uses financial behavior to measure credit worthiness. So Freddie joins us today for a discussion on open banking in the world of financial inclusion and more. So thank you so much for joining us today, Freddie. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about yourself and your background. I mean, I've known you for a few years now, but for our listeners, from computer science to becoming a fintech entrepreneur, who's passionate about financial inclusion, and you've really helped us with our work on that in that space as well. So what really led you to start Credit Kudos? Was it the rise of open banking? Um, a little bit. It was, it was more of an accident, really. Um, I started life as a software engineer. Uh, so I, I studied computer science, uh, as, as you said. Uh, I then worked for a couple of different startups over in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, ended up in fintech completely by accident. Uh, just applied for a, a role at a company that sounded cool. Um, that business was uh, concerned with how bank transaction data could be uh, used to used to understand consumer behavior, uh, but for a different use case. Uh, so I, I spent a bit of time building that product and then decided uh, I, I was kind of done with living in the US, came back to the UK. And it was that point that I figured out I didn't really have a credit score and that getting a credit score wasn't straightforward and you had to borrow money. And it was this kind of circular dependency of needing to borrow money to prove that you're credit worthy, need to borrow money to prove that you're credit worthy and, and having to be credit worthy to borrow money. Uh, and it was from that, that the idea for Credit Kudos uh, was born and, and open banking has, has kind of the only, uh, has only sort of made that, that more possible and, and has sort of enabled our business. That's wonderful to hear, actually. Um, it's a happy accident, isn't it? I kind of accidentally, you know, entered the world of fintech myself. That was almost seven, eight years ago now. Uh, so I can relate a little bit out there. Right. So what are the barriers that would prevent someone from accessing mainstream credit? Like, you, you know, you just gave an example, especially in the UK. And when I moved to this country as well, but a lot of consumers don't know that. And why do you think are some people just excluded by traditional credit scoring? Yeah, I, I mean, mainstream credit, I guess it, it depends how we define that, but but credit decisions and, and credit bureau data are used all over the place. So it's not actually just lending, it's, you know, applying for insurance, it's tenant referencing, it's uh, even some, some uh, you know, subscription products require you to do credit checks online. Uh, lending itself is becoming all the more ubiquitous. So different types of lending are kind of embedded into different products we use. And, and all of this is under or should be underpinned by data about the likelihood that we are going to repay that, that money. Um, and traditional credit scores, as I alluded to before, base that decision um, almost exclusively on the fact that you've borrowed money in the past and paid it back, which, which makes a ton of sense. And, and that, that kind of works for a lot of people. But obviously that also excludes a number of people that maybe haven't borrowed money or perhaps haven't even developed a credit file and, and the credit files linked to a number of different indicators about who you are, where you live, whether you're on the voting register, things like that. Um, and as people are kind of a bit more transient, it, it becomes harder to track. And, and so you, you end up with this problem where uh, identity is kind of um, 
uh, also an issue in, in just getting credit data for an individual. And so a lot of people uh, can't borrow money or have to have to pay a really high interest rate because they're harder to understand and lenders need more information uh, that's more readily available to understand the risk of their customers. And they're typically trying to just answer the simple question of, of can you afford the, the payments? Is this you know, a responsible credit agreement for you to enter into? So you know, are the payments that, that are gonna have to come out of your account each month sustainable for you? Uh, and then the, uh, the second part is, is kind of the propensity or uh, willingness to repay, which is the kind of like question of trust. Uh, which is, you know, given what I know about you and, and you know, the fact that you've just, uh, you know, applied to, to my website online or through my app, how, how do I know that you're going to, you know, going to be a trustworthy person and pay that back? And the, the data that's used there is often very thin and, and kind of a bit broad strokes. And, and now that we have open banking, there's just a, a much bigger universe of information we can use to, to answer those questions. No, that's very helpful to know. And I, and I do agree a lot of people don't even realize the importance of having a credit score, for example, right? So you did mention open banking. So can you tell us how can open banking really improve financial inclusion and credit assessments? Yeah, so hopefully everyone who's listening knows what open banking is. Um, but essentially, a historic credit assessment has worked, as I said before, based on past borrowing data. So if you don't have past borrowing data, you, you kind of don't exist. Um, so that's problem one. And, and problem two is that if you do have that data, it, it, it's quite broad strokes. You know, it, it, it's it's not a particularly up-to-date and kind of uh, therefore a reliable indicator. It also doesn't look at your actual financial resilience and your affordability particularly uh, accurately. So things like how much you earn each month, for example, aren't accurately tracked that well um, by traditional credit data for a number of reasons. Uh, and open banking is a as a way for us to securely and digitally analyze essentially what goes on in someone's financial universe um, and it gives the consumer choice as well because it says you know you can explicitly share this data with a company for this outcome and you have complete control over that and you can uh, revoke that access as well um, whereas the traditional data it's kind of based on an implicit consent that sort of happens in the background and so you don't even know what data exists in that credit file and you definitely don't control its sharing necessarily. So open banking gives us a way to put consumers in control of this. Uh, but more importantly, it gives us a much richer data source to build our impression of the customer from. Mm -hmm. um, and it's through the process that we've developed. So we're quite uniquely positioned because we're regulated under the traditional credit referencing uh, permission by the FCA, but we're also regulated as an open banking provider. And what that's allowing us to do is kind of look at the intersection of those two worlds and say what does your open banking data mean from a perspective of predicting the likelihood that you're going to repay and that allows customers to access credit using that data and it allows them to do so at lower interest rates and more broadly and on the lender side it allows them to reach more individuals and, and do so at a lower cost. So it's really traditional you know and uh, you know traditional players and innovative players pretty much coming together and that is what Credit Kudos is. So can you actually briefly explain how the platform works for both businesses and consumers at your end, of course? Yeah, so so we provide our product to businesses first and foremost. So we're a B2B company. Uh, our customers are the companies that lend the money or make the, the ultimate credit decisions. Um, we provide them 
a couple of different things. So we're essentially providing a suite of tools that enables them to make decisions using open banking data. So that includes getting the open banking data itself from the customer. So the kind of consent journey where the customer is saying, look, I want to apply for a loan um, and I'm going to give you consent to access my bank account for a certain period of time to, to support that application. We provide that logic. Uh, and then on the back end, we work really hard to analyze all of that information. We use a number of different machine learning techniques to, to build these predictive trust measurements. And then we provide that back to the customer using a set of tools that they can use to analyze that data. They can also build logic around what they do with that data. And then ultimately that uh, turns into them making a credit decision. Uh, and, and as I kind of alluded to before, the, the sort of secret source of all of that, if you like, is the fact that we're looking at the before and after of previous lending decisions to build those predictions. So we know for a, a large number of consumers, essentially what their bank statements or open banking data look like as a snapshot at the point that they applied. And then we know whether they went on to repay or not. Yeah. And it's using those two things at scale. We, we can say with machine learning, what is it about the before that predicts the after? And that's how we make those inferences and, and, and serve that back to the lenders. In terms of the, the second part of the question, how that works for consumers, they're able to provide consent uh, through us as a kind of trusted uh, custodian of their data to provide them with the best possible outcome for that data. So we, as well as working with lenders directly, we also work with price comparison websites in different brokers and intermediaries so that they can use their data to find the best possible offers and interest rates using that, that exchange that I talked about. That's pretty amazing. And I, and I can vouch for you guys that the journey has just been going upwards and onwards, you know, for consumers as well. It's a very user-friendly interface, if I may add to that as well. It's very easy to use. So you've also partnered with, you know, of course, several fintechs in the industry. We keep hearing about that. And, you know, most recently, even LendInvest and Atom Bank. How about financial institutions? How has your partnership with them been like so far? And if there are any case studies to share, can you please share with us? Yeah, so so a lot of our growth has come from the I guess the faster moving fintech companies mm -hmm. that that you know when they think about how they're doing credit decisioning, they're kind of starting more with a blank, blank sheet of paper than they're starting with some kind of existing process they're having to transform. So it stands to reason that they're able to pick things up faster. Um, but we do work with a lot of uh, kind of tier one, tier two financial institutions as well. Uh, often, unfortunately, they're less willing to talk about those things publicly. So it, In there, it, yes. <laughs> it, it, it kind of makes that a little bit more uh, opaque for me to be able to describe. But fundamentally, the problems and the use cases are the same. So um, we're looking at a kind of landscape of lending that's very rapidly shifting and, and certainly has been accelerated by COVID, where you're going from processes taking a few days and that being acceptable and, and requiring some form of kind of paperwork or uh, conversation on the phone or a branch or something like that to processes being completely automated and, and also the products being completely embedded. So we, you know, everyone talks about embedded finance, but, you know, historically when I've gone to buy a car, you know, I've had to get a loan and then go and buy a car separately or historically when I've wanted to finance something online, I've had to do those things separately, a holiday, maybe whatever. Yeah. And all those things are kind of combined combining so that, you know, the lending is just a, an in, input into that, that process. And, and for that kind of transition to happen and to work, and this includes 
with, with big financial institutions, you need a way to evaluate customers' risk on an ongoing basis that's real time and isn't based on this idea that you just kind of snapshot them at one point and then forget about it. Um, and so a lot of the work we're doing with, with the, the kind of major lenders has, has been around those, those types of use cases. And also you've got to remember, you know, they, uh, particularly the CMA nines are the nine largest banks that, that were acquired uh, to implement open banking first. Yeah. They, they've, you know, invested a lot of money and time in, in creating these APIs and they also want to benefit from them and build new products and experiences for their customers. So working with companies such as ourselves is, is a one way of doing that. No, that's wonderful. I mean, we are seeing more partnerships, so that make us happy and uh, more power to you guys uh, on that front. So how about, you know, open banking and we keep talking about it. So we, I'd love to know, where do you see, you know, that credit kudos is really playing a role within the open banking, you know, ecosystem? And where do you see yourselves making the biggest impact? Um, so, I, I mean, we, we've been involved with open banking before open banking, right? So we, we were a provider <laughs> of transaction data before the APIs existed. And then we were involved with the uh, working groups that, that designed the standards. And then we were one of the first companies to be authorized to actually use these APIs. Um, and we all know that that open banking has got an ambitious uh, goal and, and things that have been backed up by the, you know, the Khalifa Roof review, for example, to, to, to become open finance and smart data and this kind of uh, ecosystem of data sharing that empowers all these other different use cases. Um, I think from our perspective, where we see ourselves making the biggest impact is just being really focused on doing one thing and doing it really well. And for me, that's how to make better credit decisions. Um, and it was one of the things conveniently that the CMA highlighted as a, as a potential uh, benefit of open banking when, when they, they published the, the, uh, the banking investigation. Um, but, you know, a lot of companies have focused on how you get this data uh, and just, in its raw format, you know, how do you plug into all these different banks, which is great because it's opening the ecosystem up. But the next question is, is what do you do with that to actually make a, a business case around using it and, and, and you know, make money from it? Um, and, and lending is such a big and uh, potentially underserved uh, market uh, and credit decisioning as well. And, it, you know, it's one that's typically been quite siloed. You know, it, it's not credit. Credit scores don't cross borders very well, which is something we've not touched upon, but that's a another big challenge. Uh, and whereas PSD2 is, is European wide, and obviously we've got open banking going on across the globe now. Um, that, so we, we really feel that that by being the company that focuses on how you apply this data for, for credit decisioning and better outcomes in credit decisioning, uh, we're, we're kind of adding the most uh, to the ecosystem. I mean, we have been seeing that as well for a few years. And you know what, talking about your impact, I also have to highlight that you guys have won a lot of industry awards. When I go to your website, it's just there, boom, boom, boom. So congratulations on that front. And of course, one of the recent ones was also the Affordable Credit Challenge for your work with Serve and Protect Credit Union. Can you please tell us more about the solution and who it benefits? Because I thought it was particularly very interesting. So the Affordable Credit Challenge was a prize fund that uh, Nesta and um, in turn the, the Treasury um, put together to uh, encourage and, and aid um, new technology and new data being adopted within the credit union sector. So there are about 500 or so, I think, credit unions in, in the UK um, who provide a you know, valuable service to their, their members. Um, and 
very often they you know they have a challenge kind of getting access to the latest and greatest in terms of products and data and platforms to to deliver those uh, services to their their members and so the idea of this challenge was to build something new but also make it more widely available um, and working with serve and protect so serve and protect provide uh, products to uh, members of the military, prison service, fire brigades, NHS workers, uh, a whole range of, of, of really important key functions. Um, and one of the challenges with those, those types of customers is they often have poor or non-existent credit histories. For example, people who've served in the military uh, often live on barracks and don't have a, an address that's registered with their credit file, or at least they don't accrue credit data at the same address. And so they, they can be considered uh, thin filed as it's called or, or overlooked by yeah. traditional measures um, so we designed a product with with those guys that helps them lend to those customers using our data we provided a bunch of tools to get them to be able to make those decisions in an automated way uh, and then we've since then uh, using some of the funding that we got from that prize um, kind of standardized that process so it can be used by other credit unions and we've also embedded it into a number of different platforms that uh, reach those types of users so that ideally that this solution that we pioneered with serve and protect can be uh, can be kind of copied and pasted to all these other other great businesses as well that's so nice to hear it's you know um, and you guys are looking at things a lot of people don't even think about right in our daily lives uh, we don't realize how much you know this impacts everybody on a very different level and of course you know I mean you did you know, name drop COVID, and I cannot not mention it. So moving on to the global pandemic that we are facing right now, how has COVID-19 impacted yourselves? And are you seeing certain trends within the space uh, you are in, especially with your clients? There's, there's a lot um, that's happened in a short space of time, yeah. uh, certainly in terms of that narrative of going from digital, uh, sorry, going from, from kind of brick and mortar paperwork to digital, you know, nothing's made that kind of have to happen faster than, than everyone being at home. Um, but there's also a real danger that, that this um, pandemic, you know, um, the, the pandemic um, kind of disproportionately affects the people that are most vulnerable already. And, and you know, those people that, that don't have financial resilience, don't have savings to turn to, uh, perhaps their, their jobs are more likely to be at threat um, because of this, this change that need to, to resort to using credit. Um, and unfortunately, one of the facts of the matter is that when something like this happens, unprecedented uh, change is, is that, you know, companies sort of shut down and they, they kind of retrench. A lot of the businesses uh, in the market stopped lending money. And so there was a, you know, a, a, a greater demand and, and decreased supply. Yeah. And, and these companies needed a way to really quickly figure out how to get back lending in, in, in economic circumstances that they, they'd arguably never seen before. Um, and one of the, uh, the ways that they, they're able to do that is by having a better lens on the customer, right? And being able to understand more about their individual circumstances. Um, and so a, a lot of what we've been working on is building the, the tools and data analyses uh, to, to enable that. Yeah. Uh, that type of lending and enable these businesses to, to sustain both in consumer and SME. So obviously helping companies that are deploying government-backed loan schemes has been a big part of our efforts through the last sort of 12 months as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's really been a, a kind of a learning process for everyone. And, and 
you know, I think that we're very lucky in a sense that, that as fintech companies, we were able to adapt much faster, you know, um, and, and we, we kind of changed and built new products really quickly. And that's, and that's what we're good at. Um, so it, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a, an opportunity as well as a, unfortunately, a, a very uh, tumultuous and difficult time. I know, I know. But like you said, being agile helps. Um, I know you've answered a little bit of this already, but can you share your learnings on both a professional and a personal front? During yeah, time? yeah. I mean, on, on a personal front, I mean, it, it's just been really horrible and difficult for everyone. And I think that it's, uh, you know, being open and transparent about that with everyone that uh, that I work with is is really important. You know, we we had the the kind of era of like it's still being sunny and Zoom pub quizzes being fun, and, and then you know there's a a much more bleak part after that where it was kind of like yeah look I'm still here and and you know this is really really difficult um, and so just being upfront about that and honest and you know I went through personally I, I had a pretty horrible twelve months uh, for, for all sorts of reasons and so um, just, you know just being able to talk about that and not kind of hide away from it I think is really important um you know not not groundbreaking but but really important uh the the other thing i guess on the professional side is you know beyond that kind of adaptive um flexibility and you know responding to challenges and all this stuff that you know we we all hear about and it, it's a little bit cliche to be to be fair but it's it's been about you know um listening to customers i think and and you know being willing to kind of shelf something that you were planning to do and in favor of doing something else and, and doing that really quickly. Um, so, you know, some of the stuff we did through COVID was, was very much like everyone drop everything and spend a weekend or a week building this other thing and, and testing it out. And, you know, it was, it was kind of quite exciting as well as quite challenging, but you know, the, the fact that people had that attitude to kind of just say, look, you know, everything's changed, all bets are off. Let's, let's do something else was, I think uh, served us really well. No, that's brilliant. I think I think that is something we've seen as well. Everybody's just come together, isn't it, to help each other. So that has been nice. So thank you so much, uh, Freddie. But one last question, you know, before we close on, you know, besides all these new products that you are putting out there, are there any exciting news we should look out for for Freddie Kudos? Yeah, definitely. Um, at least I think it's exciting. <laughs> um, you know, we, we're building a lot of uh, new stuff we're breaking a lot of ground this year we've got a, a quite a few product releases coming up even just in the next couple of months um a lot of that's coming from changes in the market so some of the stuff we've talked about but also um you know the, the fca is continuing to kind of be a forward-thinking regulator and how they're looking at the lending market and we've obviously seen the the woolard review come out in the last month or so um to to kind of uh, put out a framework for how regulation needs to adapt to new types of lending models. And obviously with that comes changes in the way those lending models work and, and the data that they use to make decisions. Um, but you've also got uh, the FCA uh, credit information market study as well, which is a, a kind of wider spectrum piece that looks at how the credit information markets or the credit bureau market functions from a variety of different angles. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're super excited to see that the kind of changes that are gonna happen uh, because of that and, and pushing forward this narrative of open data and customers being in control of their own information and uh, you know APIs driving better experiences for individuals um, so I think I think that's uh, that's really exciting and, and open banking um, the UK has kind of led the way with but we've now 
you know, we now really need to kind of double down on that and, and invest further. And obviously the new entity being created is a big part of that and getting that right will be really important uh, as well as moving into the era of open finance and other data types being available. So there, there's a lot to look, look forward to and also a lot from the perspective as a challenger credit reference agency that we can uh, sort of capitalize on and build for and build unique and new products around. So yeah, very exciting. A lot of things going on and I'm pretty sure you guys are going to play a huge role as you always have in you know these forward thinking decisions that our regulator does make. So thank you so much for all that you do for the ecosystem Freddie and thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you Rashid, really appreciate it. Cheers and more power to you and the team at Credit Kudos and thank you so much once again for our, all our listeners for tuning into Coffee with Inwait Finance. Do look out for upcoming episodes and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn for more on our events and programs and also updates from Credit Kudos should you be interested. So as always, until next time, take very good care of yourselves. <laughs>